All right. Welcome back to the Fear and Trembling podcast. I am here at the table with the uh, normal Motley crew as Bill <laughs> looks at me with wide, yeah. uh, wide buggy eyes. Gosh. <laughs> Love you, brother. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> this is the danger of always letting me do the opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good thing you're one arm away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am uh, Aaron Vanderveen. I'm the campus pastor here at Watershed. Next to me is my brother. <laughs> Bug-Eye Bill, the past <laughs> campus pastor at a celebration campus here at Hardawike. I don't have any nicknames. <laughs> but JB, Warnland, campus pastor, Fusion. Hi, and I'm Darwin Glassford. I'm glad to be here, the executive pastor here at Hardawike Ministries. And I'm going to turn it back over to... JB. Yeah, yeah, JB. Because we have a special guest. Um, Aaron and I went to Western Theological Seminary right here in town, a wonderful institution. That was very formative. Those are formative years for me, I know. And yeah. so uh, yeah, today we are, we are reading, well, not reading, but we're looking at discussing the book, The End of the Christian Life uh, by uh, J. Todd Billings. And, and Todd is here with us. And so yeah. welcome, welcome. I have a hard time saying Todd. I want to say Dr. Billings, you know, as, as yeah. former you should. student. You should have yeah. a hard time saying Todd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is like growing up and trying to call my friend's parents by their first name. Yeah. When right. I get yeah. Um, but the, the, the subtitle there is How Embracing Our Mortality Frees Us uh, to Truly Live. And uh, wonderful book. And uh, I'll kind of toss it to, to Todd to kind of just introduce yourself and um, – and we'd love to hear, um, yeah, just your story some. Yeah, it, and, the book grows out of your story, and that's part of the power of it. Yeah. And, and so for our listeners to hear that would be, would be great, at least a part. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, it's great to be with you, great to be with um, former students in the ministry and um, pastors who are engaging the book. And, yeah, this was a book that – Certainly involved a lot of research and discovery on the one hand, mm. but did very much relate to both my own story and to that of graduates of of the seminary like you. Mm. I remember um, I've – so I've been at Western Seminary since 2005, and when I would have graduates come back, I would – just about always ask them because I'm a theology professor and a theology nerd. Um, <laughs> in the ministry, what is the biggest sort of theological issue or question mm. that mm. comes up? Sure. And one of the answers I got surprised me, but it was about death and dying. Mm. And so a lot of seminary students just reflecting our broader church culture had not really been to too many funerals, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then in if you are in congregational ministry, maybe take a small church somewhere, suddenly you're doing 10 to 12 to 14 funerals a year. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of questions about God and the gospel that, that come up. Mm -hmm. So... That's that's one part. That's one part of it, yeah. and a curiosity from that, and really wanting to learn from pastors with mm -hmm. that. So, early in the process, we had some colloquies that um, where we had groups of pastors um, 
sharing and helping me and other scholars understand what are the issues on the ground and um, and what are some of the challenges. And then the second aspect has to do with um, sort of what I've learned as a cancer patient myself. Mm-hmm. I was um, diagnosed and started pretty intensive treatment for my cancer in 2012. It's hard to believe mm-hmm. it's been that long. Wow. But being a, a cancer patient and part of the cancer community, just mm-hmm. developing friendships there, death and dying is just a very everyday thing. And so a lot of my friends from there, you know, with my own cancer have died. And cancer patients are a, are an interesting group because as a group, they're quite religious. Just mm. just about any measure of religiosity in terms of prayer or belief or things like this, they're higher than general population. They are higher than they were before their cancer diagnosis. Um, but interestingly, they often also feel pretty alienated from their mm. Christian communities. Yeah. So it's a it's a peculiar sort of relationship, and that really intrigued me. And so early in the process, I could tell that certainly Christians have we have a lot to learn and grow in in terms of the end of life when we you know receive a diagnosis you know of somebody at age. 80 or 85, that they have six months to live. Okay, well, what does this mean? What sort of process do I go through with my faith, my family? What sort of medical interventions? But it became clear that the deeper problem was our whole story of discipleship. Mm. You, you can't tell someone one story about what the Christian life is and never mention death. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when someone, whether they are 85 or 35 or 5 is facing death more imminently, say, oh, yeah, the faith relates to death in all these ways. Mm. And often, especially in our late modern culture, under various cultural pressures, the only thing that a lot of people hear about death in the church is that it's defeated. Mm-hmm. Um and so then when it comes as an enemy, <laughs> mm. um, there's, there's, there's a high level of disorientation. Sure. So um, in the end, I wanted to make uh, – no pun intended there. But I wanted to make it um, a book about um, how the end of the Christian life and the purpose of the Christian life – always involves moving deeper into who we are as mortal, frail, temporal creatures before God, that life is a gift as opposed to what we tend to assume, which is that, oh, you know, I'm the center of the universe, I'm going to live forever, you know, in our everyday life. Right. Yeah, and in the book you wrestled with all that, and one of the things you talked about in the book was our culture in general kind of denies and pushes um, death to the to the and and as you were talking about the experience of graduates, you know, there's so many things that we don't learn and we can't learn in mm-hmm. seminary, mm-hmm. and and walking with a family going through death or you know sickness yeah. is is one of those things, and suddenly you're faced with it, 
or when yeah. you get a diagnosis, you're you're faced with it. No longer do you have the luxury, yeah. if, if it is a luxury or a or a something worse, you know. To so yeah, just and you 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 did a marvelous job in the in the book addressing that. Yeah, yeah. I was struck reading the book um, how different life experience is now than it would have been a hundred years ago, a century ago. Growing up, I would have been to a grandparent's funeral. Um, I had a friend who died in high school, went to that funeral. But I was through seminary and preaching weekly before I sat with somebody hmm. who passed away in the room. Yeah. And I, I see now if I and, – and because we didn't have pets, I'd never lost a pet. I, you know, a guppy, come on. (laughs) Um, But I'd never had that life experience to reflect Mm -hmm. on theologically or biblically as a seminary student. And so I appreciate you hearing uh, hearing you talk about speaking to graduates, and I see it in the book that that there is this great call to love and walk with people through every phase of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I find myself sometimes being in a circle of people where I'm the only one who's been at that moment of crossing the, yeah, you know, the Jordan or whatever sure. phrase we want to use. Yeah. Uh, I'm the only one with that experience, and so I'm trying to nurture and disciple people in that moment. But you know, went to good seminaries, was never in that moment. Yeah, I mean, so it's, I appreciate your work. Yeah, it's it's a dramatic cultural change that we're often not mm-hmm. aware of. Even in 1940, most deaths took place in the home. Yeah. Around family. Right. You know, so imagine people would have had the experience of almost being like a hospice worker for a grandparent or a parent. And so the the difference between this is so radical when death just becomes like a headline <laughs> or something mm-hmm. that movies are about. It's almost more like <laughs> pornography or something where uh, it yeah. fascinates precisely because it's abstracted from the mm. – the, Reality of actually being yeah. in the room with someone, as you were saying, yeah, and um, and some of what I became increasingly concerned as I looked at wasn't just the culture, but that we are missing all sorts of things within the scriptures, mm-hmm. yeah, because of ways that we accommodate to this um, culture of death denying, right. like the the cultures in the Old Testament across the hundreds of years, but in Old Testament and New Testament. Mm-hmm. They were ones much more like the cancer community, you might say, and, sure. and like certain other parts of the world where death is an everyday thing. It's a reality. Right. It's not an abstraction. Right. Um, and that's – it's just very different. Well, in, in your chapter on Sheol, which yeah. is – I don't think I ever heard that word until seminary, right? <laughs> um, you know, that was, that was a, an interesting exploration of, of the scriptures and – and that goes beyond just death. I mean, the yeah, pit is, yeah. is not just a... And I was very life. thankful in that Sheol that you brought it better than I've ever experienced into the life that I'm living right now. Right. Mm-hmm. I Part of my context while reading the book, we had been using the Apostles' Creed in our worship. Mm-hmm. And so Christ descended to hell. Well, I did a little blurb on that to kind of help get folks across. And, oh, I know the Old Testament, New Testament, blah, 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 blah. But it's like I had done that, and then I read your first chapter, and I'm thinking, oh, 
I've probably got 5% of it for my people. (laughs) And and just the way I began to see parts of my own life right now, Mm, much more in that show. And so all of that suddenly began to open up in a much more present thing for me. I I appreciate being educated and brought deeper into the hope of the gospel. It was great. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's – I think some of what made it especially clear for me is I'd said some great things about the cancer community. But one thing that is not so great about the cancer community, and it's just a reflection of the broader culture and faith traditions that we come from, is that when we get together, one of the first things we do is basically compare lifespans. We just oh. automatically do it. Okay, when sure. were you diagnosed? Da, da, da. And you know, it's kind of like the one who lives the longest – wins. Um, because if you have this threat that wants oh, to man. take away your life, it's just kind of natural to be oriented that way. But I just I was just so I just found it so breathtaking that the Bible gives a different vision where the two poles are either apparent you know alienation from God or a place of darkness that seems far from life and God's presence and the temple, the place of God's presence. And so in some sense, no matter how long you are living, you know, in what ways are you moving into true life, the life of the temple? Um, And of course, we can't even do that ourselves if it wouldn't be who Christ who meets us in the pit. Um even in the place of apparent abandonment, Christ, he has gone there um, for us. But I found it to be even just personally helpful for me as a way to decenter what comes up in these cancer conversations, which oh. is like this comparison game of <laughs> who's winning um, so far. Yeah. One of the things, um, Todd, is that I appreciated was when you started talking about Irenaeus and – then Augustine and that tension, because I think um, for me, having traveled with so many, especially during the decade where I was at Maplewood um, through death, was really experiencing that spectrum of the horrendous, horrific side of of death where it's an an enemy, Mm -hmm. um, but also where it becomes sort of this welcomed friend. Um, mm-hmm. I had that illustration even from I'm I'm going to go Harry Potter esque <laughs> in the <laughs> in this you know but the long life where death became a friend and then all of a sudden oh we we got rid of what you know what was it the resurrection stone but uh, um, I what it made me wonder about um, was how does redemption the whole idea of God's redemption allow us to live in that tension where death can be a merciful um, part of our, our, our life and our journey, but it can also at the same time be, a, be an enemy. Um, so that, that kind of came into my mind of like, how does redemption, Christ's redemption, allow us to actually step into that space and, and live in that tension? Um, as a theologian, as, <laughs> as, a, as a fellow you know, brother in Christ. Yeah, I think that some of why I ended up with a place of saying that it's on a continuum 
that all deaths are on a continuum is that it is just radically different in different situations. Um, but it's also something where the other is not completely absent. So um, – and it was partly in – after my book, I wrote a book on lament um, – exploring psalms of lament in relation to my cancer diagnosis. And then when a local, just right here in town, um, retirement home with a whole bunch of retired ministers and missionaries, I was so honored. They read through my book, and some of them weren't able to read, so they read it aloud in small groups. And then they invited me for questions. And the biggest question was, why do you talk so much about death as an enemy? They said, we understand why it would be enemy for you. I mean, we don't want you to die. You have young kids and you know, you're in your late 30s and all this stuff. But their big fear was living too long yeah. in yeah. the sense of, you know, they've started to experience one capacity after another, right. that loss. And they know sure. that, there's a medical system that can just keep you alive indefinitely <laughs> to some well, extent. It you know? can keep your heart going exactly. and your lungs going. Exactly. Yeah. But with a much more reduced exactly. account. Yeah. The industrial medical complex, yeah. Yeah. as I refer to exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so – but I, I, I would still want to wait, say like at certain times death is a, is a relief, you know, seen prospectively sure. as a – relief yeah. and sure. that God can work in and through that and just, you know, all the stages of human life that it's part of the pilgrimage and part of like all of what we do in life is the life that is ours. We offer it back to God. I am not my own, but belong to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Sure. And in a sense, those who you know, don't have a sudden death or a young death, have the privilege, you might say, of offering their life back up to Christ sort of one by one in terms of the capacities and the losses and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there is still – there's still the sense – I've been at funerals where – I remember one with a gentleman who was 90 years old and tears everywhere. Mm. (laughs) Like, and it wasn't because it was sudden. It was just, it's, it's, he did not want to live much longer. He did Mm. not want to, you know, just (laughs) keep on living indefinitely, but we loved him and we wanted him with us. Right. And so there's still, there's still something of the other side where, you know, some of why Augustine is so necessary is he just flat out says death is irrational. And it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. It tears up our stories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the way it's intended to be. Right. Mm. And I think we, we, have to, we have to keep that in mind. And certain mm. times in you know, the death of a child or a suicide or things like this, that's going to really accent the Augustinian side. Um, but I think – and I, I mean, it could be wrong because uh, like <laughs> uh, among the scholars, they tend to take one side or the other. And sure, I was just sure. like, 
in at least in my experience, I feel like mm. it's never completely one or the other, right. but it's certainly accented. And so that's why I tried to that was really, do it that this was direction. Really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about that. My, um, my in-laws lived to well over a hundred, both of them and both of them desired for this life to end. Yeah. I mean, Cause they're, they were just, life had become so, they were just ready. Yeah. But I also spent about 14 years as an emergency service chaplain. Oh, wow. And so you see the experience, the irrationality of, of mm-hmm. death in, mm-hmm. in that situation. And so to be able to navigate those two, and I think to hold them in a really healthy tension um, mm-hmm. is is really challenging in this day and age. I'm kind of curious. Um, I used the term earlier, the industrial medical complex. Um Controlled by insurance agencies, I should add my, um, yeah, uh, my yeah. caveat. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> in, in my own experience, I've not <clears throat> had cancer. My wife has had um, cancer twice, both treatable. Um, and one of the things that kind of questions that emerge for me is if it feels to me that much of our, even our medical treatment, has been removed from day to day life in existence. Um, it occurs in a sanitized environment, not in a home. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the the pushing of death to the margins has has kind of been paralleled with a pushing of medical treatment out of the home and out of the community into the margins as well. And how does that – how do those two – how does that – I don't know how to put it. Um, that pushing of both things to the margins, um, how does that affect our perceptions of both of them? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and no, that's a really probing question. I mean on the one hand – where death takes place has yeah. changed dramatically right. oh, yes. from the home mm-hmm. to the hospital. Um, and, um, and as Atul Gawande, who's a physician who has written a best-selling book on this, which I highly recommend um, called Being Mortal, as he says, you know, death has become a medical experience. Oh, okay, and that's cool. He, mm. He's not a Christian himself, but he has a whole section on the Christian Ars Morandi, the art of dying. Mm. And he says, look, the experience of dying used to involve connection with family, with faith traditions, with, you know, confessing your sins. with mm. Something you know, bigger than yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and now yeah. it's just been replaced by a doctor in mm. a very sanitized environment and sure. so forth. So um, so there's that. And then the other aspect is – so there's also counter-movements. You know, originally, the hospice movement was, mm-hmm. was started by Christians mm-hmm. as a way not just for death but for the process of dying to take place in a home mm-hmm. or in a less medical environment. And the amazing thing is that when people go into hospice overall – they tend to live longer <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I've seen it again and again. If you if you don't, your body is just beaten up yeah. right? by all of these curative methods. I mean all, all hospice does is it just – you can still take medicine. The, the whole thing is though they're no longer trying to cure you. Right. And that, that is actually such a relief for many. But the other aspect that this relates to that something I'm very interested in is chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Basically, the medical industrial complex and insurance and so forth <laughs> has become very good at addressing acute illness and yeah. acute conditions like you know 
a broken knee or somebody needs surgery or whatever, but very weak at addressing chronic illness, even though it's on the rise. So just an example, I mean, you know, extraordinary scientific and medical progress within a relatively short amount of time on COVID. Mm -hmm. But for the acute illness of COVID, once it becomes chronic, so long COVID, even though we know it's very widespread, we honestly don't know what to do. And that's actually been sure. something I've been really energized about looking into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's – I think the basic answer is chronic illness almost never is just simply a biomedical chemical right. issue. Yeah. And we actually need the church and we need communities that – not only support people with chronic illness, but call out their gifts. Don't treat them just as if they're like just waiting around to be healed, even if they want right. to be healed. But in the meantime, are you know you are you are called to display hope in the face of despair, and called to in a sense be a leader to the Christian community mm-hmm. in I, that in this season and so forth. Yeah. I feel like um, as you share that, like an observation from previous ministry um, call was that even the church isn't great at, because we had some folks who were dealing with chronic illness and like, I can bring a meal, you know, for two weeks, you know, yeah, we can, yeah, we can do yeah. the meal train, yeah, yeah. but what do we do if they're not getting better? Like, so I think even the church needs, can grow yeah, absolutely. and how sure. do we, how do we walk with people when, when they're, they're like healing, medically speaking, yeah. might not be, you know, a yeah. likelihood, you know, or. Yeah, so I, uh, that's just a. F- yeah, it's a big area. I mean, the church tends to be in, uh, very good at the bringing the casseroles and bringing the meals, right. Right. you know, for the first month or whatever. But when this illness is still a painful illness, and many actually cancer survivors, ex- I would say most of them probably experience chronic illness, like they're surviving, but <laughs> right. have these other things. Um, and they're still around one or two years later. What do you do? I mean, you see them at church and you say, you look great because you're not sure what to say. <laughs> that's, that's the thing most often is, is heard. But um, – Well, it, and, and, if, and if the medical community, it's all about keeping you alive or mm-hmm. – and if, and, if, and if we don't have a broad enough, full enough understanding of death right. and life, and then, then we fall into that like get you better, healing. You know, you talked about that like we pray for healing, healing. Mm-hmm. What about living? Yeah, yeah, you know, in this pit or whatever. It, you know, yeah. I, this, I think that maybe this can be part of that training for the church and how to how to how to care well for. People. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think medicine. We we can Christians are involved in medicine and should sure, be and right. to help yeah. even addressing chronic absolutely. illness. But the from those who have studied it the most. Um, I'm thinking of Arthur Kleinman, uh, he's a medical doctor at Harvard Medical School and also an ethnographer in the ethnography of illness. So he studies chronic illness. And he thinks that basically where, like, for example, the U.S. has been going the last couple of decades has been counterproductive for chronic illness in the sense of, you know, shorter and shorter appointment times more and more mm-hmm. specialists mm-hmm. who don't necessarily talk to each other. Mm. No. And um, the 
it's left to the patient or family members to try to make sense of it. And I mean, he says one of the biggest needs and where he has seen the most healing and chronic illness is when there is a relationship and a community mm-hmm. and people know the complexity of the chronic illness and things like that. And the medical there's like no signs that the medical system like that the appointments times are going to start getting longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the now the, they're going to be remote, you know. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. So what strikes me on the chronic and I have a uh, one of my my kids has long covid. So we're yeah. walking through that with her. And then, you know, with my own own wife, I would say after her bouts, there hasn't really been a chronic condition, but learning to live with what – and she would disagree with me. So I'll just say that right here. Um, learning to live with what I would consider the 80 percent energy level. Yeah. So so the, the long-term effect, you know, hasn't been medical. They've cleared her, but – her energy level is about 80% of what it was before her first bout. And, and yeah, like you said, learning to live into that relationally in other ways is, is not easy. No, no. You know, I mean, it used to be you could say, hey, let's go out and do this. And now she just looks at me like that would be exhausting. I'm exhausted at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I really empathize with you there in that, those points because I think – that's not something the doctors ever talk to us about in in the diagnosis yeah. and the treatment area. Yeah. I mean, we – That is – and it's very, 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 very common. Um, and this is actually where I find, again, scripture and the the Christian tradition, especially before the 19th century, uh-huh. to be a <laughs> breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because people, you know, even – John Calvin, you may have heard of John Calvin, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. And then for decades, for almost all of his ministry, he has severe chronic illness um, of various types, a lot of pain. Uh, near the end of his life, they had to carry him in a chair to preach, and he, you know, preached sitting down, but he couldn't even get up. And it seems. Yeah. Um, We have just examples, you know, from the Apostle Paul to um, many, many examples in the Old Testament of people who are not just messed, sometimes, you know, messed up morally, who still, God still does um, things through, but also have profound, you know, limitations and. Sure illness and things like that. And that doesn't keep God from being active. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just find that encouraging because it's it can be our tendency to assume that what success is, is sort of defined by a medical model of success. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to be a successful Christian or if your faith is going to be successful, that, that means, you know, you found... Um, you've been fixed. Um, you no longer have loss, um, uh, you know, in terms of an illness or after effects of treatment or, or things like that. Redemption has been realized. Right. And so right. my story is one and, of right. victory. And it's very individualistic in how yeah. it's evaluated yeah. and considered. Sure. I mean, yeah. it plays into the, the, the currents of our modern moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think we were kind of, kind of getting there a little bit, but, Kind of as as a final question, like what you know, 
as you think about this book, as you think about listeners uh, of the podcast, um, what do you, I mean, what, what's some hopes for maybe even broader, just the church, as you think about um, your experience, this work, um, some takeaways? Yeah, well, I think that the church has, in some sense, an embarrassment of riches on this topic, mm. where mm. a lot of people in our broader culture, like Atul Gawande, who's not a Christian, a lot of non-Christians are saying, wow, we have pushed death to the sidelines, and this is not working. Mm. It's not working for the end of life, and it's not even working for how we live life. Mm-hmm. And within Scripture, there is so much material that speaks precisely to that context. Mm-hmm. And you know, within our within our faith, within the sacraments um, of um, dying and rising with Christ in baptism, with um, the Lord's Supper and proclaiming His death until He comes again, this mm-hmm. crying out, "Come, Lord Jesus!" This sense that. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And that's actually – it's so freeing mm. to say that and to confess that and to live that mm. and to do that in hope. So, um, I mean, I think that God has gifted the church with scriptures that speak so mm. deeply into these questions. And some of the question is, are we – interested in mm. hearing and moving into that because mm. it can seem it feels like there's cultural pressures oh sure. you know if you mention death in a service just you know mention it mm. in passing and use euphemisms if anything comes <laughs> up about somebody in the congregation actually dying i mean yeah, you know yeah. dogs and cats die humans don't <laughs> die right i mean mm. you know we we need to find euphemisms to to, right. to to do that. No, this is like this is in some ways the whole point of the incarnation is that Jesus takes on our humanity, including death. Yeah. He is mm. the pioneer. We are mm. not alone mm. in going to death. He has tasted death. No one else living can say that. Mm. That yeah. is a, that is a solid yeah. hope. Yeah, and. I think people are actually hungry for that hope. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also a lot of pressure just to keep things positive or, you know, to keep discussion of death very um, Multiple times I've I've heard testimony in the last month about people who don't believe, you know, don't have a belief, who are confessing they wish they they were religious or they wish they believed. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Um, But, Todd, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for just sharing your heart and uh, your wisdom and insights. And uh, I, I found the book uh, wonderful and I uh, would recommend. Um, so thank you. And uh, and now yeah, we thanks. next next time we always kind of do a little introduction uh, to our. And I don't know if it's Bill or if it's Darwin who's going to be leading us. We're actually going to do a discussion on a podcast. So, oh, yeah. you know, hey, nice. a podcast on a podcast. <laughs> a podcast. We're, we're yeah. crossing pod- media bridges here. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd invite you to um, check out the fearandtrembling.com um, website. There you'll find a link to the podcast. Um, the podcast is from um, Jonathan Dickinson. Um, and John Dickinson, and he um, – Dixon. Dixon, sorry. Dixon, <laughs> I, sorry. I always do the same thing. <laughs> I did the thing. Um, and it is um, – 
podcast entitled Undeception, where he takes a look at um, things going on in the world, um, generally from a more scientific perspective, um, and carries on a dialogue with specialists in the area and what the Christian faith has to speak to it. We'll be um, doing a, um, a podcast on a podcast um, on a work by Christopher Watkin entitled Biblical Critical Theory. Um, it's a brief 600-page tome. Um, <laughs> it, the book re- is, it reads well, it, though. And it, reads, it reads very well. It follows um, Augustine's City of God yep. Yep, um, and how it book. develops. And it's broad. It's engaging. It's thoughtful. The podcast is delightful. So you'll want to check that out. Again, the link will be at fearandtremblingcom um, the podcast website. Awesome. Well, as always, um, I'm Aaron. I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin. And, and I'm Todd. It's great <laughs> to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> and God's peace be with you all. <laughs>